Greetings, listeners. Welcome to the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. This is the podcast where we dive into all the questions about transitioning into your professional career and all those difficult unspoken topics. My name is Dr. Maria Scott, and I'm a PR professional and a professor. Joining me is Ashley Osmecki, a senior PR major who's about to step into the real world. Welcome to the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. I'm your host, Dr. Maria Scott, as with me always is Ashley Osmecki. This week's episode is episode four, Life Lessons, and we're gonna talk about job thieves. So I'm gonna get us started. I wanna tell a little story about an A student that had a challenge with a job thief. So we're gonna name that student Ty. Text me, called me, emailed me, saying, Dr. Scott, I desperately need your help. I have this problem. I've been working here for four years and I am convinced someone or some ones, some people, I'm trying to steal my job. And I called, I let the student tell me the whole story. And I had a couple follow-up questions and I'm not gonna tell you what those follow-up questions are right now because we're gonna talk through all of this, but I'm gonna come back to Ty's story at the very end and sort of tie this up into a nice, neat bow. So Ashley, what do you want to know about job thieves? I really want to know, like, what do you do when someone wants your job? Like, how do you maintain the confidence and how do you handle it, really? Again, wonderful question. So to begin, I want to ask a few questions. First, are you putting 100% into your job at this point? And I'm not aiming this specifically at Ashley. I'm aiming it at everyone listening to this is everyone listening to this someone who puts a hundred percent into your job when your heart isn't in it and the reason that that's the first question is a lot of times when we begin to work we love it we're super enthusiastic six months comes that enthusiasm is still there nine months ten months eleven months a year And we start to say, wow, we've mastered this. I want more responsibility. I want more to do. Maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe it does. But without knowing it, we stop putting in 100%. And slowly, we start to become less and less and less enthusiastic about our job every day. And sometimes the perception shifts a little bit So my first question to anyone would be, are you putting in 100%? My second question would be, are you giving anyone a reason to believe that you don't love your job, that you don't wanna be there, that you are looking elsewhere? Because the reality may be that you're giving off some sort of vibe that says, I'm not enthusiastic about being here. I don't like my job anymore. I'm tired of what I'm doing. I'm tired of the position I'm in And someone else is reading that as an opportunity then to move themselves forward. So that's where everything, that's where I would start the conversation. That's where I think everything should begin is, is there any chance that there is something that you may not even be intentionally doing? Like, I don't want to blame, you know, the person that's complaining about this here. But what I'm asking is, is there any chance that there's something you are doing that is giving off this vibe that you maybe don't want to be there or that you're not excited about your job anymore? That's something I'm really glad that you said about having your heart fully in it because something that I am fearful of is getting a job that I am excited about but then not having all of that heart and passion. And so much of my like 100% is guided by 
passion. And, you know, I'm scared that I would let someone see that maybe I'm thinking about something else and how how I can handle that and make sure that nobody, that I'm not giving anyone a reason to think that I don't quite love it. I think that that's a wonderful point. And the best way to sort of address that moment where you're like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I got this amazing job. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, yay, yay. And you're chugging at 100% and you keep going along and you feel like it's great. And then all of a sudden you either hit a brick wall or you feel like you've now done the same task 20 times. Or as you mentioned, your passion starts to wane a little bit. One of the biggest things that I think people can do is to stop and do a small self-assessment. What about that job or that position has suddenly shifted for you? Is it maybe repetition of tasks? Is it maybe that you feel like you should be getting more responsibility and that's not happening? Is it maybe that some of your coworkers have changed and these other ones you don't just get along with as well? There's a lot of reasons why something may change and that you may not have that same passion you had before, but that's where you need to stop and be self-aware enough to do a self-assessment and say, okay, it's actually the fact that my job is very repetitious and I feel like there's no new challenges. Like I've, I don't wanna say like I'm perfect and I've mastered this a thousand percent, but I feel like I've gotten really, really good at it and now there's not a lot of new challenges I'm doing. So if that's the case, then you can go to your supervisor and actually address that with them. Say, look, I know my review isn't for another two months or three months, but I feel like I've come a really long way since I started. I feel like I've mastered X, Y, and Z. Is there an opportunity for me to start taking something else on to take a little bit more initiative, to have a little bit more responsibility? Or is there something that you do that you would like to get off your plate that I can now help you with that a lot of times will be an injection of passion back into your job because it's enough for you to say, now my like hopes and dreams are still being met because I am being challenged at work. And again, there are some people who don't like the challenge and it may just be that their coworkers change it and they're not as enthusiastic about the new coworkers. But that is a big part of it. And people can read that. I can read why when the people around me, when my interns, when my entry level staff around me is no longer as enthusiastic. It reads in your face, in the way you sit in your chair, in your interest in hitting deadlines, in the number of excuses I would hear as to why you're not doing things. And that does read to me that maybe you aren't excited to be there anymore. So how do you balance that like injection of passion that, okay, I have these new things, I'm getting more excited, I'm like moving in a different direction in my job. How do you balance that with, I think there's somebody coming after my job and I'm feeling a little defensive about it. How do I figure that out? One of the things I wanna ask is that there are some very obvious instances when this happens. A really good example is your boss will say something like, oh, Ashley, I'm going to add this person, John, and he's going to help you with this project. Now, you may read that like, oh, I'm not doing a good enough job, so my boss is making John come and help me. That may not be what your boss meant at all. Your boss may know that the job was probably too much to to give you in the first place and may say, now John is free of the 
obligations that they were doing. So now they're able to help you, but they didn't articulate that. They knew it in their head. They didn't articulate it. Your interpretation was, I'm not doing what I need to be doing. And now I have to have someone helping me. And then that's where the defensive mode comes in. You're very resentful of John because now you think John's there because you're not doing a good enough job. You're not going to work well with John. You're going to be defensive of those things that you were supposed to do. And when the reality was your boss wasn't saying that at all. Would I be in, in a position to maybe ask my supervisor, like, what's up with John? Is he here for to help me? Am I teaching John or... Should I look for that kind of, you know, suspicion around John? Or do I kind of ignore it and just push through that weird feeling I might have? So the pushing through the weird feeling almost always still has a little bit of resentment buried deep inside of you and or defensiveness. So a lot of people aren't capable of doing that. If you want to ask the question, I think that that's great. You just need to make sure you word it correctly. And this is probably where most people don't, and it still comes across defensive. If you went to back to your supervisor and said, hi, I just want to clarify John helping with this project. Can you explain exactly the responsibilities I'm supposed to have, what John is supposed to be doing, are we collaborating together? Do we have separate responsibilities? I had a plan for what I was doing, and now I need to understand the plan for incorporating a different person that wasn't part of the track I was on. And I think if you can word it appropriately and just say, I'm not second guessing, I'm fine to work with John, I just wanna clarify the expectations of what we're both supposed to be doing here. That's where the person, that's a great opening for the supervisor to say, oh my gosh, Ashley, like the reason I'm having John help is because this is way too much work for one person to do. I knew that before, no one else was free. John just became available. I know John knows how to do some of this. If you want, we can all sit together and divide up the work. But if you two just wanna sit together and divide up the work, I'm fine with that. You were the lead on this. If you wanna keep being the lead, I have no problem with that. But this is so much work, you do not have to do it alone. I'm trying to give you support so that you don't have to carry this huge workload all by yourself. Hopefully that phrase would make you feel considerably better. Yeah, I think that the importance of clarifying that likely give any person in that situation, me in this scenario, like that confidence to be less defensive. And I think that's really important to just kind of say how you feel and make sure you're wording it properly. Another really good example that happens very frequently is people observe things that are happening around them. So let's use John again as an example. You're sitting at work, you know that you were asked to do maybe media clips, maybe come up with notes, maybe put some social media content together. You're asked to do a specific set of tasks. And then your boss walks over to John, gives John that same set of tasks and says, oh, when Ashley gets done with her work, would you review hers? And then also maybe help me out with this other thing I'm doing. And you look at that and you say, well, John and I are the same level. Why is John getting asked to help with more? And it starts to feed into this insecurity and almost defensiveness where you start to ask yourself the question, am I not doing what I need to be doing? Is there, am I giving my boss a reason to doubt my skills, to doubt my abilities? And again, you're fostering resentment for poor John, right? And I think that that's a big piece where people think someone's coming after their job because they're reading all these cues 
And maybe some of the cues are valid and maybe some of them aren't valid. Does that make sense? It does. So like, what do you do when you're kind of collecting these receipts of John? What do you do with them? Do you hold on to them? Do you forgive them? Do you just try and remind yourself that I'm better, not better, but that I'm good enough, that I deserve this position? What do you, how do you not hold on to these receipts? So there is a type of psychology that's called evidence collectors. And as an evidence collector, you're someone who's, you've already convinced yourself of a particular thing. So in this case, you've convinced yourself, John is after your job or John is doing better at the same job that you have. You're gonna go around and collect little tiny pieces of evidence, almost like pieces of a puzzle. So you've got, in your head, you're thinking, okay, I have all of the left edge of my puzzle done. I have all of the bottom edge of my puzzle done because I've collected all this evidence to prove that my boss likes John more or John is doing a better job or I am not worthy or I am not doing well enough. And you've convinced yourself that the end picture of this puzzle, of all this evidence is going to be that John is better than Ashley and John's gonna get the full-time job or the promotion and you're not. And the reality may not be any of that. The reality may just be that maybe that particular day your boss was like, oh, John's going to help me do this. And in your boss's mind, they were thinking next time Ashley will help me. They didn't articulate that, but in their mind, that's what they were thinking. And you're over here collecting all this evidence or receipts or like, you know, Easter eggs in a basket, whatever you want to call it. You're over there collecting all of this that then you're carrying around and it kind of becomes a burden for you. And I think that that's where we have to be really careful that defensiveness and that fear of maybe not being good enough can be really toxic in a work environment, especially if you don't have the ability to communicate that with people. So maybe that day when John gets asked these extra things, you can say, John, I'm going to send you my work to review. Do you mind if I sit next to you? hopefully I'll get asked to review your work next week. And when we do that, then you can sit next to me and I can learn how you're editing my stuff. You can learn how I'm editing yours. And this way it's more of a collaborative thing. And you're starting to reduce John as not being so much of a competition and maybe being someone who you can collaborate with and work with. I'm glad that you used the word competition because I am like a naturally very competitive person. And I think that that might be something that gets in the way of having those collaborative relationships with the Johns of the world. So I think that it's important to put that aside and make sure that I'm being collaborative and not competitive. Absolutely. Not everyone naturally is competitive. I think that there's a lot of people who maybe in their heads say, I'm a very competitive person. That usually means that you want to win. Not everyone is so competitive that they want to win some people just and it sounds awful to say but maybe don't work well with others because they're constantly doing that tic tac where it's like i have one more point they like me more and it's more of a comparison than a competition they're not trying to win and get more points they're just constantly keeping score and that's a different challenge in and of itself because if you're a natural scorekeeper as opposed to naturally competitive that natural scorekeeping catches up with you. It stresses you out. You're carrying this, these scores for everybody around you perpetually through life, and that can be really taxing on someone. And I think there is like 
a really big difference between being competitive within yourself. Like I always feel like I'm competitive within myself and I'm not necessarily keeping score against others, but that does go back to the confidence aspect of it. Like if I'm co- if I'm competitive within myself and I don't feel like I'm doing as well, then my confidence might lower and then my defensiveness might rise and it's just this whole kind of vicious cycle, but it could all probably be avoided if I'm just making sure I'm collaborative. Absolutely. So Dr. Scott, let me ask you, how do you know if someone is sabotaging your work? Like, how do you know that this is happening and this is the road that we're going down? That's a tough question because more chances than not, you are collecting this evidence or there's things that you have built up in your mind that may or may not be all of reality and i'm not saying when i say this i don't want anyone listening to think oh my gosh she's saying that everyone lives in sort of a false reality that's not where i'm going all of us at work want to do a good job most people go to work and say i want to be the best me i want to do the best job i can and when you start to feel like maybe someone is diminishing your work and so good examples of this are someone goes behind your back to your boss and said i wasn't able to get this in i had all my work done but ashley wasn't done on time so do you do you ever feel like maybe you're in an instance where you're carrying someone else's weight or someone is sabotaging you or someone is saying or pointing out your flaws yeah i mean i worked on a pr campaign last fall and there were definitely times where there was kind of conflict and I I heard instances of some people discussing someone else's work that wasn't quite meeting our standards, et cetera. And I would be hopeful that nobody was sabotaging this other person, but you know, when there are hard deadlines, it's tough to not say something to others. And I think it's important that you know that you can have a voice and you should say something. It's fine to go and say, to Mary. Mary, I see that you're not able to get your work in. Is there a chance that you want to go and tell our supervisor or go tell our professor or go tell whoever's in charge that you're not able to get this done and it's impacting the rest of us because we have no choice but to submit work without your work present. We are not going to miss our deadline to compensate for you. And that's a very difficult thing to get past. Most people would rather just do the work that Mary didn't do and get it in having done extra work. So I'm assuming in your career, someone has asked you to do more work. Yes, 100%. I remember someone asking me like, hey, do you mind just doing this? And yeah, I did mind just doing that, but I did it anyway. And you know, and I've been in instances where I might be late to a deadline, but I was honest about it. I was like, hey, here's what's going on with me. I'll still do it as opposed to putting that on someone else, or at least I tried not to. But yeah, when other people asked me to do their work for me, it did kind of add towards like a resentment. You know, not that I resent this person to this day, but in the moment of the heat of the moment of building this campaign, I was like, yes, I do mind. However, I will... I will get that done for you, for us. Right. And I think that that's the part of working in a team. In a team, there is an us, and you don't want to let the us down. However, by doing that, you all are covering for this weak link person 
And the supervisor, the professor, whoever's overseeing all of this may not know that this person is as weak of a link as they are because everybody's compensating for them all the time. Everyone's doing their work to get the assignment done on the deadline or they're fixing it and it's turned in in like this god awful draft and it's a mess. And then people are having to completely overhaul it and it's taking all this extra hours and all this extra time. Whereas the better situation, and it's very difficult to learn, but letting someone fail, learning how to just say, we're going to keep working. We're going to keep moving forward without your piece. We're not going to compensate for your piece. We're going to leave that big old hole right there. And all of our stuff is going to get turned in. To be fair, as a supervisor myself in multiple careers, as a professor now for more than a decade, I cannot tell you how many times I wish people would do that. Sometimes I know it's happening and I will go to the students and say, please just turn in your work and do not compensate for that person. Because if it's not turned in, if they never submit something, then as a professor, I can give them an F. As a supervisor, I can go to that person and pull the person aside and have a conversation about why are you missing these deadlines? Why is your team being forced to compensate for you? Because maybe there's something that none of us know about that this person is struggling with or going through and I can reduce that person's workload, let them get past that hump and see if then they're capable of rebounding. Or maybe this is the best that they got, in which case I need to start looking for a new employee. But either way, if you all are always compensating for that person, it's literally enabling. I think that's a really great point. I feel like I would have a huge struggle letting that hole not get filled. Like I always want to do extra just to get it done. I'm very much a has to get done. Like, what is that phrase that complete is better than perfect? Correct. And, you know, sometimes you just have to do that. So <laughs> compensating for someone is something that I do a lot. And, you know, going back to my like restaurant experience, there is no option. You need to do the thing, close the restaurant, feed the person. So if a server just disappears, you have to take that table. There's no letting that those people go ignored. So I'm all, I've am i always just gone and done the thing. So it's definitely going to be a challenge if I'm ever in a position where I have to just kind of let that person fail. That would be a challenge for me. To be fair, it is very difficult to do. And there's been multiple times in my career where I've had subordinates, I've had people who don't make their deadline, who don't do their work to the level it needs to be done. And I have a couple options. I can let it slide or I can compensate for them. Clearly, if it's someone that's working for me, I know how to do their job. I probably went through their job to get mine. So I can just do it and get it done. Or in a really great quick story I will share with you is we used to mail out, and this is obviously I'm dating myself because we would mail in the mail media kits and we would mail hundreds of them and it was up to our interns they were all packed they were labeled the shipping label was on them everything was done they literally had to drive four blocks to the main distribution post office put the boxes in again postage already on them they did not have to speak to another human they just had to carry them inside drop them off make sure that the postal workers saw them and then were able to ship them out 
I said, can you do this at the end of the day? Yes, we have it, boss. No problem. We'll take care of this. Fantastic. Two weeks goes by. I call one of the people that should have received this media kit. Even in Europe, they should have gotten it within two weeks. So I'm talking to the person on the phone and I actually say in my pitch to them on the phone, oh, well, you'll see in our media kit that you should have received, blah, blah, blah. And I go on with my sentence. And the person goes, oh, well, I never got a media kit from you. And then there's just silence on my end. Oh, well, I know that we sent you one. I did the label myself. Let me check into that for you. I am so sorry. I'll get another one out to you today. And the person said, great, thanks. I really appreciate it. We finished our conversation, but I felt very stupid. I was very concerned because I knew that this had been done, or at least I knew the first phase had been done. And that was sort of my day. Later on, another day goes by. I asked, did you mail these? Yes. I went to the post office. I talked to the postmaster. Is there any chance that you got some of these returned to you? It wasn't enough postage. The address was smudgy. Like, I don't know. Any chance. Postmaster looks at me like I'm crazy and says, nope, we have nothing for you. Okie dokie. So I go back and now I'm trying to solve this mystery. So I feel very Sherlock Holmes. I'm going around. I'm interviewing people. I can't figure this out. And toward the middle of the day, my boss comes over and is talking to someone and sees a whole bunch of boxes underneath the person's desk. And it's one of our interns and says, what do you have in those boxes? Like, what are you storing? Pulls the box out, 150 of our envelopes never got mailed, including the person who I talked to two days earlier. That's unbelievable. And that was really one of those moments where it, that was, it was great because my boss knew that that was not the end of that. Just driving it over and dropping it off was not the part of that was my responsibility. This is one thing that they were responsible for, they were supposed to do. And it wasn't just one human. There were three humans sitting there that were, were supposed to be responsible for this. So it's not like you could say, Bob left early that day and Shirley should have taken it. Like nothing, one of them should have done it regardless. And they should have not sat there for two weeks, even if the person couldn't do it the first day, then they do it the next day. So was there, between those three people, some sort of sabotage going on, pointing fingers, this person didn't do it, I didn't know, etc.? Absolutely. It was a lovely game of phone, and then they were all pointing fingers at each other. And I stood there with this weird sense of satisfaction of like, well, the good news is, you know, Sherlock Holmes can be retired. I don't have to do this anymore. Mystery solved. Bad news is this didn't get mailed. But I had been saying for weeks prior that this set of interns was not up to par. And I didn't have wonderful examples because even if they were missing a deadline, they'd eventually do a mediocre job the next day and it would kind of get done. And I was able to show small instances, but nothing that was this grand to demonstrate just how bad this group was. And I stood there with this very strange look of satisfaction on my face of like, and this is exactly what I would have expected because this is the behavior I've seen all along. And it was great because then my boss got to come in and take over and really lay in. And there was part of me that was just sort of like, I'll just step back over here and just sort of watch this. But that was definitely where they, they sabotaged themselves. There was no one person who could get out of that without the explanation of coming a week later saying, I apologize, I thought we did this, they must not all have fit in the car, I don't know what went wrong, but these didn't get sent, I'm gonna go do it right now. A billion times better 
than the outcome that happened because the outcome that happened was easily one of my favorite work days ever because it was just, I mean, it was awful because then I had to go apologize to all these people that should have had this, but good in the sense of letting people fail is very difficult to do, but this was a moment where I was like, eh, you know what, this is apropos for you all. Right so over. what happened moving forward forward with these people? Did they like have this now toxic work environment between the three of them or did they kind of form together and they're like well we all made this mistake we have to be together or were they now after each other no it was like survivor that's hilarious yeah it was it was not a form together this did not bond them in any way they pretty much couldn't work on projects together for the rest of the time that they were interning for us and the saddest part to me was that none of them took that opportunity as their moment to be like whoa maybe i'm not to the standard that i need to be none of them rose to the occasion the rest of their couple months that they had left and rebounded to the point where it won our trust back or it won our ability to think that they were competent at their job. That's tough. It, it was. And again, that's a life lesson that I was hoping would have like sunk in a little more and sat in with them and made them go home and feel like, wow, like I really disappointed these people today. I wanted to do a good job with this. I should have done better. And they just really didn't. Um, so they really sabotaged themselves. That wasn't someone else coming after them. Ashley, I can't believe it, but we've been talking about job thieves and conspiracies for almost 30 minutes. And while I hate to stop mid-conversation, I actually think it's a good time to take a break and pause and say, let's continue this conversation next week. Sorry to give you a cliffhanger, but you'll get to learn what happens with Ty. You'll hear some more coping mechanisms, some way to handle these situations, and maybe even another great story. So join us next week where we continue to talk about this almost like a part two. We really look forward to having you with us. Thanks for joining us for the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. Click in our description and visit the website to see our upcoming topics so you can submit your unspoken questions. Connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Postgrad Cheat Sheet.